And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. This your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. Staple self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure on Escape, starring Paul Freese. And then it's part one of the classic radio comedy adventure on the life of Riley, starring William Bendix. With me to help present these classic radio shows is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Still here. All right. What's happening in the world of Hollywood? Well, uh, former late night host David Letterman has been in the news this week. Yes. Have you seen that? I saw him jogging somewhere. He yes, didn't even he was look in the like... Caribbean. It didn't look like no. him. So here's the he looks thing. looks like Santa Claus. A, a little bit. Um, here, here's the thing. He, he said, you know, for 33 years, he's had to shave every day. And the one thing he was really tired of doing when he's been on television, which is actually more than 33 years, because even yeah, before this, he was weather. on local TV weather, and whatnot. Yeah. All he wanted to do was stop shaving. Um, right. So he has a, we'll call it a relaxed approach to grooming now. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably a nice, it's a nice PC way, to put way it. of putting it. Isn't yeah. it? And yeah. he just, um, he travels and fish, does a lot of fishing and hangs out. And he's decided the one thing he wants to do in his retirement was not shave. So right. thus the, he the photo of him, he deserves it. And, yeah. you know, maybe you'll feel the same way if you ever retire. Right. And maybe you too can well, have a Santa Claus Well, when I first beard. saw the picture, I thought we we discovered Bigfoot, but you I guess know, not. It's I, I recognize the face. It took me a while, but I say good for him. Let him enjoy his retirement, All and right. you know, we'll see what's in store for him. All righty. Time to free our listeners now from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure on Escape. Let's go back to February 29th, 1948, for The Grove of Ashtaroth, starring Paul Fries, part one of Escape. Wonder if prices will ever come down. Fed up with the post-war world. Want to get away from it all. We offer you escape. You are standing at the edge of an enchanted grove, lured by a soft, caressing voice inviting you to destruction. You have nearly sold your soul to an ancient goddess from whom you must escape. Escape. Produced by William N. Robeson and designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Today we escape to the African veldt and an enchanted shrine of great antiquity. As John Buchan told it in his weird story, The Grove of Ashtaroth. We stumbled onto the place Lawson and I, during the second day after we left Taki, we'd travel on horseback some 40 miles or so through typical African veldt, lush and green, with plenty of game and good hunting. It was late afternoon when we topped a rise and saw before us a small plateau of such beauty that we both reined in and sat staring at it, 
not speaking for some moments. A tiny sparkling stream wandered through the verdant meadow grasses, and at the edge of the plateau tumbled in a crystal waterfall down to the plain below. Graceful clumps of strange trees grew here and there, and bushes blazed in a riot of bloom. I'd seen nothing remotely like it in all the miles we'd come. It stood alone, proud and lovely, an alien island in a sea of tropic jungle. Great heavens, John, in your whole life have you ever seen anything like it? If some artist had designed that plateau, placed every tree and bush by hand, it couldn't be any more perfect. It's... it's almost weird, isn't it? Yes. It shouldn't be here. It doesn't belong. Well, there isn't a plant growing over there that's like any we've seen in the rest of the jungle. Well, probably a difference in minerals in the soil, something of that kind. Mm, it's more than that. They're not even the same varieties. It's true. That one grove standing alone there near the edge, I... I've never seen trees that slender and fragile. And the bark, it looks like silver velvet. Silver velvet, huh? <laughs> That's quite an idea, John. Hmm? Yes, <laughs> I guess it is at that. Anyway, those doves seem to like it. They never stop circling over that one particular grove. They're probably nesting there. A flock of white doves circling over the silver grove. But, you know, there's something vaguely familiar about that. Yes, there is. John, can you make out some kind of a dark shape there through the trees over toward the center of the grove? Yes. Yes. Come on, let's ride over and take a look. Hmm? No. Uh, not, not now. Huh? Why? I mean, you'll have plenty of chance to see it later. What are you trying to say? John, I'm going to build a home here. A home? Out here in the middle of the jungle, miles from... I'll build a road in from Taki. I've got money enough and no one but me to spend it. I've always wanted to live in Africa. Always, Lawson? Or for the last five minutes? It doesn't matter. Somehow, even though I'd never seen it, I've dreamed of this spot all my life. I've got to live here. Uh, want to live here, I mean. But so quickly, at least think it over first. No, I don't have to think it over. I know what has to be done. John, it's here that I build my tabernacle. <laughs> understand Lawson giving in to this sudden foolish impulse. It wasn't like him. But there was nothing I could do. I left him at Taki the next day and returned to the matter-of-fact world of business in London. And it was three years before I saw him again. Three years before I returned to Africa to find that he'd built a manor house in the jungle and equipped it with all the conveniences of the English countryside of which not the least was Travers, his butler. And may I be so bold as to say it, Mr. Buckham, it's very good to see you again, sir. You bring a breath of old London out of this heathen foreign country. Oh, thank you, Travers. It's good to see you again. This is some different from the old granite front on Grosvenor Square, isn't it? Indeed it is, sir. A great many things are different. Yes. Mr. Lawson's turned this jungle clearing into a paradise on earth. Uh, if you'll pardon me, sir, I think paradise is not quite the word. Hmm? Oh, well... Uh, perhaps I'd better tell the master you've arrived, Mr. Button. He's been lying down. Oh, not ill, I hope. Uh, I'll tell him you're here, sir. Travers left the room and I waited alone, wondering at the strangeness of his manner. I finally decided it must be induced by homesickness. 
I looked about me, as impressed by the austere magnificence of the library as I'd been by the grounds outside. There was an imposing mantelpiece of ebony at one end, and on it was placed an object elegantly fashioned of alabaster in the form of a half-moon. It was curiously carved with signs of the zodiac. There was something compelling, almost unearthly about it. Fascinated, I reached out my hand. I should not touch that about you. Huh? Oh, Lawson, I didn't hear you come in. How are you, John? Oh, fine, Lawson. Couldn't be better. You? So is it down? Why, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful seeing you again, old man. Been wanting to get down here for the last three years, but you know how it is in London. Time gets away from you, and the first thing you yes, know... Yes, of course. Yes. Uh... Cigar? No. No, thank you. Not now. When I finally did get the chance, I couldn't even wait for an answer from you. I sent the wire and then followed it right on down. Yes, it surprised me a bit. Haven't had a visitor here for the last two years. Oh? Well, then that explains why Travis talked the way he did. I thought it must be... What do you mean, Travis talked the way he did? What did he say? Lawson, what's wrong with you? He didn't say anything. Well, he's better not. Uh, I'm afraid I... Forget it. I... I'm sorry, John. I haven't felt very well the last few days. Well, that explains it. I say, at least you seem to be eating all right. You're actually getting a bit plump. Actually, I'm fat. Gross, flabby, and obscenely fat. Isn't that what you really mean? Well, no. I was only joking. Never mind. Uh... What do you think of the place, John? The place? Why, it's amazing. It's beautiful. No one could ever believe it without seeing it. I I doubt if there's another place like it anywhere in the world. You're right about that. There isn't another place like it anywhere in the world. Oh, that reminds me. I, I noticed you left the grove as it was without bothering it. Tell me, did you ever find out what it was we saw that afternoon? Yes. Yes, John, I found what it was. Well... John, I have an overseer here, name of McJobson, quite a competent man. I want you to leave with him in the morning, take a three or four day hunting trip. He knows the country. He'll find you plenty of game. Oh, but I, I came here to see you. I, I'm fighting about a fever. Happens every so often. I'll be all right by the time you get back. Oh, now, wait a minute. If you're sick, I'm certainly not going to run. You'll do what I tell you. Lawson. Uh, I'm sorry to talk this way, but I know what has to be done. All right, Lawson. Whatever you say. Good. Settle it. Believe me, John, I know what's best for me. Yes. I'm sure you do. Another thing, John. That carving that sits on the mantel, I must ask you not to touch it. It's quite old and rare. I should not like anything to happen to it. I found it impossible to sleep. I tossed fitfully, trying to think of some reason for the great change that came over my friend in these past three years. Drugs, drink, actual sickness, either physical or mental? No, none of them gave any complete answer. My windows looked out across to the turf, and I saw the grove of strange trees, 
It was bathed now in the moonlight by a soft, silvery haze. Even now, in the middle of the night, the flock of doves circled in the air above it, gleaming white from wing and breast as they wheeled in the shafts of moonlight. I dozed off finally to wake up suddenly in that brief hour before the first light of dawn. I happened to glance from the window and in the fading moon glow saw a figure approaching the house. It drew nearer, and I saw it was Lawson, barefooted, wearing a white dressing gown. Shortly I heard his weary steps pass my door, and afterward the house was silent. I lay there wide awake. Lawson had been coming from the direction of the grove. Mr. Buckingham. <coughs> oh, morning, McJobson. Oh, sit down, sit down. Thank you, sir. Now, in regards to that hunting trip we talked about, eh? I can offer you a choice of two or three... No, no, of... never mind. I'm not going on any hunting trip. But last night we decided that... That was the... last night, McJobson. Tell me, how long has Mr. Lawson been sick? Oh, it comes and goes. Happens about once a month like this. He's not the man that he was when I first came here. Do you have any ideas about what might be the matter? I? Well, what are they? If I told you what was in my head, you'd think me daft. Why don't you wait until tomorrow? You won't need to ask. It's the full moon, the next. Full moon? What does that have to do with it? You'll find it in the Bible. Read the eleventh chapter of the second book of Kings. Who says that? I found the Bible in the library and summed it open to the passage he'd mentioned. I read through it once without understanding. And then one sentence seemed to leap out from the page. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians. Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth, of course, Ashtaroth, goddess of the ancient East, whose strange rituals held a dark fascination for the children of Israel, over and over luring them away from their fierce prophets to worship at her shrines. The white doves of Ashtaroth circling the shrine of her silver grove. Why, then the grove at the end of the turf must hide a lost shrine dedicated to her worship. But what of Lawson? Did his blood carry one fraction from old Israel with the same ancient weakness to hear and answer the call of the goddess? Did he become an acolyte of Ashtaroth? What weird rites did he perform in the grove at night? And then I remember tonight. The worship of Ashtaroth had always reached its climax on the night of the full moon. <laughs> Lawson did not appear all day. And that evening, after dinner, McJobson and I took up our watch on the dark veranda, looking into the windows of the library. We'd been there at least an hour. Look. That's Mr. Lawson. He just came into the library. I see him. Hey, what's he after? I suppose he wants a little figure on the mantel. We watched him take the carved half moon of alabaster and slip it into the pocket of the robe he was wearing. 
Then he turned and he left the room. In the moment, he came out the front door and walked off across the turf in the moonlight. It best give him a bit of a start and then follow it. No, he'd see us for sure in that moonlight. I do not think so. He'd not look back now, sir, if there were ten of us following. Miss Jobson, what is it all about? You've read the book? Yes. Yes, it's the ancient goddess Ashtaroth. But what is the ceremony? What does he do? And what is it that made him the way he is? The ceremony you'll be seeing, Mr. Buchan. As to what has made him like he is, he does an evil thing. And all the while he knows it to be evil. He cannot help himself. And he knows that, too. Yes. I think I see what you mean. We'd best be going now. He's gone into the grove. We crossed the turf quickly and passed into the black and silver shadows of the moonlit grove, working our way carefully toward the center. The only sound at first was the piping of the doves circling high over the lacy branches above our heads. I saw as we approached that the center of the grove had been cleared to form a small circular arena was covered with smooth turf. And standing in the middle of it was a cone of rock thirty feet high, a smooth, sharp tower of stone that pointed up toward the tops of the trees. And then I saw Lawson. He stood by the base of the conical tower, his arms uplifted, the symbol of the half-moon bound to his forehead, enchanting words with meanings I could not even guess. Now Lawson threw off his white robe and began a curious kind of dance, moving around the foot of the cone on a worn path beaten in the turf, the same path he must have followed many other nights before. He moved faster and faster, uttering now and again a wild cry. We stared entranced at the circle of moonlight. And as he danced, a strange new sound slipped into my consciousness, an earthly melody that seemed to come from, from the tower, from the trees, or may perhaps have been born within my own mind, tricked by the magic fantasy of moonlight, shadows, and perhaps madness. It brought to me one vivid thought of the warm, soft lips of an unseen goddess, of lips incarnadine, whispering gently and sensuously across the reeds of a penpipe. I... I stirred uneasily, felt the quickening of my pulse. If I try to resist it, Mr. Buchan, tis only a thing of evil cloaked in a false beauty. McJobson heard or felt it too. Then it was more than a trick of my own senses. Something in me thrilled to the call of the weird melody. I, I wanted to rush out and throw myself at the base of the stone tower to dance as Lawson was doing. To spend all eternity in... Adoration and worship of the beauty of Ashtaroth. Oh, Mr. Buchan, think what it's done to him. Fight it, lad, fight it. I lost all knowledge of time. The dance had grown swifter and fiercer. The moonlit figure in the clearing moved faster and faster, posturating and gyrating in tempo to the crazy rhythm. My blood was pounding in my throat, my ears ringing. The music surged through my brain in ever-mounting waves of incandescent sound. Now I was beyond reason. Possessed by an overpowering frenzy when... The cock crew. 
And the grove was deathly still. And at the foot of the tower, Lawson lay unconscious. How is he, Mr. Buckham? Mm, he's lost a lot of blood, but I think he'll be all right. Good. It was a mere thing. Travers got a couple of sleeping tablets into him. They'll not be waking up before tonight, at least. McJobson. I suppose you know what we have to do. I'm well aware of what should be done, sir. But I've no idea how to do it. I think I do. I shall take full responsibility, but I'll need men, all we can get. The natives will no go near the place. But there's some 30 white men on the tobacco farm a few miles back on the bush. But there was a highway. I'll pay it, just get them. Would you mind telling me what you're proposing to do, sir? Yes. Something that may sound as mad as Lawson himself. I'm going to deal with that grove the same way King Josiah did. Ah. Hey, it comes back to me vaguely. Yeah. Here it is. And the high places that were before Jerusalem which Solomon, the king of Israel, had builded for Ashtaroth, the abomination of the Sidonians, did the king defile. And he break in pieces the images and cut down the groves. Both the altar and the high place he break down, and burned the high place, and stamped it small to powder, and burned the grove. Aye, tis the word of God. Need dynamite, but I have plenty of it down at the workshop. I'll go after the men first. We should be ready to start by nine o'clock this morning. Let's pause here on Escape from February 29, 1948. We'll return to it after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Sarah Knight Adamson. I'm the national film critic for the website sarahsbackstagepass.com. I've been in the film critique business now for over 10 years. I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association in L.A. and a voting member of the Critics' Choice Film Awards. Have you ever wondered what movie to see at your local Cineplex? Well, I've got you covered. Coming up next, you'll hear a film review of a movie that's playing near you. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, rated R. It's based on a true story of news reporter Kim Barker, played by Tina Fey. In 2002, she decides to change her boring life by taking an assignment in war zone Afghanistan. Let's take a listen. I am a friend of America. Which is why you should let me interview you, so people can understand that. I like you, Kim. I like your mouthiness. That is a word, yes? Vale. You'll see the reality of a war correspondent, the gunfire, explosions, the isolation, and ooh, the nighttime partying. But more importantly, the psychological and emotional toll. Margot Robbie and Martin Freeman also co-star. Here's another clip. I have done thousands of miles on this bike. And I have gone backwards. I have literally gone backwards. I just, just wanted to blow everything up. I just wanted out of my job. I couldn't look at that carpet anymore. Well, 
That is officially the most American white lady story I've ever heard. Bottom line, I'm in. Three stars. This is Tina Fey's movie from start to finish. It's also the first movie that she carries by herself. There's no Amy Poehler or Steve Carell for backup. The weight's all on her shoulders. Yeah, the movie drags a little bit in spots, and uh, it's really not on the level of, let's say, MASH, but as far as war comedies go, I enjoyed it. See you next week. Painful shingles, cracked fingers, red, itchy, flaky skin, eczema, wounds that won't heal. The list goes on and on for irritating and painful skin conditions. Start the healing today with all-natural Epizen Skin Gel. Recommended by doctors and proven to heal skin, Epizen is guaranteed to work or your money back. Use code RADIO to get $10 off with free shipping by going to Epizen.com. That's E-P-I-Z-Y-N.com. Or call toll-free... Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. And now the conclusion to Escape. It was just past nine when we entered the grove, carrying axes and a couple of shotguns and driving several teams of oxen. A light breeze had sprung up and It whispered and rustled in the branches of the silver trees. We took care of the doves first, shot them one by one until we'd killed them all, 27, and piled their white bodies at the foot of the pointed rock. Then the men set to work with the axes, chopping through the slender trunks of the trees. I stood by the stone tower, the high place of King Solomon, and watched while the work went on. Gradually, gradually, borne perhaps in the sighing wind, a, a strange fancy crept into my mind. Oh, no. Please don't. Please, no. I fancied I could hear a voice coming from the tower, from the trees. His voice was soft, warm, and pleading. Listen with your heart. Can the spirit within you not hear and feel? The heart of all sorrow was in that voice, and the soul of all loveliness. Distant, tenuous, with all the bodiless grace of a goddess older than time and desire. I could not believe that I was imagining this soft and lovely voice. I felt a sudden and overpowering adoration for this exquisite creature who whispered in the breath of the wind. I wanted to call out to the men, order them to stop desecration of her home and sanctuary. Then I thought of Lawson, of what he'd become, and I fought back the impulse. How can you judge who knows so little? One who is part of the whole divinity of me? No. No, I won't. I can't listen to you. Look at me, but one the eyes of your heart, and you'll belong to me forever. No. Please, no. 
you have killed my dog, covered their white breasts with blood, are you not yet satisfied? It, it's got to be done. It's got to be done. No, please. You could stop now and leave the high place. New trees would grow. And other doves would come and nest in them. But I can't. I can What do you say, Mr. Buckingham? I couldn't quite hear you. Hmm? Oh, nothing. Nothing at all. Well, I'm ready to put the dynamite around the tower here. If you'll move back a little way. McJobson. McJobson, perhaps... Perhaps we could leave the tower. Maybe it's enough to clear the grove. Tis not enough. The book says, And their children remember the altars and the groves by the green trees upon the high hills. No. That's no good, Mr. Buckham. Be no heat to the voices of the wind. Every last stone must be destroyed. No. He is a stern man and a cruel man, and his words are vile with hate. No. Leave me only this one last oath. No. All right, Nick Jobson. Go ahead with it. Place the boxes of dynamite close together, lads. Easy now. No. Even now, it's not too late. I... I walked away slowly. The piles of tree trunks were burning now. The smoke swirled in the wind. I would leave this place tonight. Yes. I would leave this place forever. Then write a note for Lawson. Telling him of what I'd done. And I was very tired.
silence. Nothing but silence. And I heard the sweet voice no more. And my face was wet with tears. William N. Robeson, directed by Norman MacDonald, today brought you The Grove of Ashtaroth by John Buchan, adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with Paul Fries as Buchan, Bill Conrad as Lawson, Kay Brinker as Ashtaroth, Raymond Lawrence as McJobson, and Eric Snowden as Travers. Music was conceived by Cy Fewer, with Eddie Dunstetter at the console. Next week... When you're tired from working all week, when the weekend offers little diversion, next week at this time, when your problems seem just too much for you, we offer you escape. Next week, we bring you another exciting story of high adventure. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Escape from February 29, 1948, with The Grove of Ashtaroth, starring Paul Fries, as heard on CBS. Lisa, it's time for a good comedy now. Let's tune in to The Life of Riley. This was very popular on radio and television, and even in the movies. It was created by Irving Brecker, and I think you're going to enjoy this. William Bendix stars as Chester A. Riley. It's called The Riley, the TV Actor, from March 3, 1950, part one of The Life of Riley. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Finest beer served anywhere. Proudly presents The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix as Riley. To those who are interested in facts and figures, statistics show that nine out of ten married men lie to their wives. The tenth man is a widower. And so tonight, let's not be dismayed to discover that Chester A. Riley has lived up to statistical expectations. Hi, Mom. Is Pop home yet? No, dear. He's working overtime tonight. <laughs> That's what he says. What do you mean? I just saw him on television. What? Yeah, I was watching the wrestling match in the television store in Crenshaw. And all of a sudden, there's Pop in the audience. But That's impossible. He said he's working tonight at the plant. But I saw him. Just as clear as anything. Why, you must have been mistaken. Uh, hello? Oh, no, he didn't come home yet, Mr. Gillis. No, he's working late tonight. What? You did? You sure it was Riley you saw? Oh, now, it couldn't have been. He told me he had to work and he wouldn't lie to me. Uh, goodbye. Oh, wait till I get my hands on that man. I told you it was Pop. Hi. Guess who I just saw on television? You saw him too? Oh, you know? Yeah, I saw him too. Well, I thought Daddy was working tonight. No, we live and learn. Well, why should he tell a fib? Oh, shh. I think I hear him. Now, listen, children. Don't you kids say anything. Oh, 
Hiya, kids. Uh, everybody still up? Hello, dear. Oh, gee, I'm bushed. I had an awful tough night at the plant. Peg, honey, would, would you get up and let me lie down on the couch a minute? I'm, I'm really beat. I'm, oh. Why, certainly, sweetheart. Uh, oh, this feels good. Oh. Oh. You poor dear. I may have to work again next Friday. <laughs> Maybe every Friday. I hate to see you working so hard, darling. Oh, I don't mind doing it for my family. We'll need the extra money if we're going to take that vacation trip in Yosemite this summer. Mm. You really had a hard night, dearest? Oh, yeah, it was murder. Mm. <laughs> Who won? Gorgeous George. <laughs> Boy, you, you should have seen how... <laughs> you want the couch, Peg? Riley. Now, wait a minute, Peg. Before you start accusing an innocent man of lying, just tell me one thing. How did you find out? Chester Riley, answer me. I didn't mean to lie, Peg. Honest, I, I went to the plant and the job wasn't ready and this guy had a couple of well, passes. Well, why and... didn't you phone and let me know? Well, I was going to phone, only I was afraid you wouldn't let me go. Why shouldn't I? You're over 21. You're entitled to go to a wrestling match. Why should I object? Well, gee, I had you all wrong, Dumplin'. Can I go next Friday? No. <laughs> Why not? I'll still be over 21. Why can't I go? Because of what you did tonight. How did you find out anyway? I saw you on television. Me too. Television. I always said no good would come of that invention. <laughs> you look great, Pop. When I... I did? Yeah, I saw you real close. Eh? What was I doing? You were talking to that blonde next to you. Shut up. Peg, honest, I was just asking her for her phone number. I, I mean... I mean, the right time. He's got me all mixed up. I got the surprise of my life when I saw you, Daddy. Yeah, where were you? Over at Margie's house. You look wonderful. I did, huh? All the girls said you look positively handsome. Did they? Yeah, you hear that, Peg? Oh, don't get excited. After those ugly wrestlers, anybody'd look good. Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you... Hello? Oh, hello, Mrs. Morris. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, that was me. You really think so? Oh, go on. <laughs> You're just saying that. Well, of course, I didn't have any makeup on. But... Yeah, well, maybe I will. <laughs> Thanks for calling. Goodbye. <laughs> it was Mrs. Morris. She said I should go on television. As an actor, she means. Oh, she was kidding you. What do you mean? She said I looked very natural. Of course you looked natural. You didn't know the camera was on you and you weren't doing anything. I was so. I was flirting with that blonde, wasn't I? I mean, I mean, I was talking to her. Hey, listen to this in the paper. Actors wanted for television at once. Now casting major production. You two can be a star. No experience necessary. Apply for interview and audition at Stardust Television Productions. Well, what do you think of that? Well, what about it? It might be a good idea for somebody to look into. Who? 
Me? Who else? Oh, oh Daddy, are you, you an actor, Pa? Well, what's the big joke? I always thought that I had talent for acting. Well, what about all those people that phoned yesterday? We must have gotten ten calls. Oh. Everybody said I looked very natural. But they were ribbing you. Don't be ridiculous. Well, I don't see what's so ridiculous. After all, where are the television stars of the future going to come from? Unknowns like me? At your age. Well, so what? Who knows? Maybe I'll turn out to be the Ezio Pincher of television. <laughs> Enchanted evening. Oh. Now, look, Riley. You put all this acting nonsense out of your head, or I'm... Go- okay, okay. There's no harm in talking about it. We... Hey, I'm late. <laughs> Goodbye. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? Here. Well, what's that? Fifty dollars. The vacation money. Boy, oh. have we got as much as that? Mm-hmm. And if we keep on saving the way we have, there'll be more than enough by summer. Now, here, Riley. On your lunch hour, make a deposit in the bank. Why don't you just leave it in the bowl in the cupboard? It's too much money to leave lying around the house. It isn't safe. Who's going to break into our house? (laughs) I'm not worried about somebody breaking in. I'm thinking about an inside job. (laughs) Well, don't be silly, Peg. Junior wouldn't... Oh. Well, that's a fine attitude. Stardust Productions. Oh, it's you, Bill. Yeah? Yeah? You sure? Okay, thanks for the tip. What's up, Gilbert? The DA's office is on to us. I'd figured to happen sooner or later. Those stories in the Daily News finished us. We better blow town. (laughs) Too bad we can't milk a few more suckers. Too risky. We better leave tonight. Start packing. Well, what do we do with all those screen tests we made of the jokes? Leave them here. What good are they? Come on, let's get moving. Good morning. Is this the Stardust Productions? Uh, <clears throat> yes. Uh, what can I do for you? Well, I read your ad about actors. Uh, uh, sorry, no more casting. Oh, I thought maybe uh, no more parts. Huh? No, sorry, you had to come down all the way down here. Oh, well, that's okay. I was passing by anyway on my way to the bank to make a deposit. Goodbye. Hold it, mister. <laughs> Huh? Say that again. Goodbye. No, no, no. What you said before that. Huh? Oh, I said I was just passing by on my way to the bank to make a deposit. Remarkable. Joseph, have you ever heard a voice with such resonance? Such timbre? Never. Come over here to the light, Mr. Mr. Riley. Riley. Turn around. Huh? Remarkable. Gilbert, have you ever seen such a face before? Never. I never expect to again. <laughs> it's one in a million, the perfect TV face. Well, everybody's been telling me that I look very Only natural. Only come to us a few days ago, sir, before all the parts were cast. Yeah, well, maybe in your next production... Wait a minute. Uh... By George, we'll write a part in for you. You will? Honest? Well, gee, I can't believe it. When do I start? Tomorrow morning. Of course, it depends on whether we okay your test. Test? Uh, yes, uh, to give us an idea how you look on the screen. All the big TV stars have to take a test. Oh, well, sure, I understand. I ain't worried. I'll pass. When do I take it? Right now, if you can pay the test fee. Oh, there's a fee. Oh, naturally. Expenses involved, cameraman, makeup, lighting, processing, film, you understand. Oh, sure, sure. How much will it be? Uh, around a hundred. Hundred? Of course, if you're not interested. Oh, no, I am, I am. But, but all I got is 50 bucks. 50, eh? Uh, Riley, to help give the world your face, we'll cut it in half. $50 will be quite all right. <laughs> oh, gee. 
<laughs> Thanks. Only I ain't handing over any dough until I get a contract. <laughs> I wasn't born yesterday. <laughs> Joseph, get a contract. Here. There you are. Sign right here. Well, I see that I'm dealing with businessmen. Uh, here's the 50. Where, where do I sign? Right here. Oh. Fine. All right, Joe, get the camera set up for Riley's test. Right. Now, Mr. Riley, here's the scene I want you to study for the test. And as soon as Joe's got the camera set up, we'll be ready to shoot. Oh, thanks. Don't be nervous. Oh, I won't. Uh, 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 this part here, this is only words, dialogue. Well, what about the actions? Are you, are you going to show me the movements? Oh, uh, you mean the business? Yeah. Don't worry. Before we're through with you, we'll give you the business. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I can hardly wait. Peg! Peg! Oh, hello, Riley. Peg, my darling, kiss me. Oh, Riley! Put your arms around me and hold me tight. Riley. I adore you. Oh, well, you haven't kissed me like that in years. <sighs> Well, I didn't mean it. I was just acting. <laughs> what? Oh, boy, have I got news for you. Uh, Babs, Junior, come in here. Boy, have I got news. You got a raise. A raise. That's chicken feed. We're going to be rich and famous. What's up, Pop? Out of excitement. You are now looking at one of the future stars of television. You, Pop? You, Daddy? What are you talking about? I mean it. In a couple of months, I'll be right up there with all the great stars. Hopalong, Cassidy, Cyclone Malone, Time for Bernie... Riley, what's this all about? I just signed up to star in a television production, The Stardust Review. You what? You're kidding, Pop. You're going to act? Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, you don't believe me. Huh? Well, laugh this off my contract. There you are. You've got a contract? Well, certainly. I insisted. I wanted to be sure that this is no racket. I start at 200 a week. 200? Impossible. Are you sure it isn't a swindle of some kind? How can it be a swindle? I got a contract, ain't I? I'm protected by law. Ain't it wonderful? Oh, there's something wrong somewhere. Well, that's a fine attitude. Here I get the big break of my life. And instead of encouraging me like any other wife would, you knock me. No wonder there's so many divorces in Hollywood. Mental cruelty, that's what it is. Go on, why don't you tell Luella Parsons about me? Oh. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to knock, dear, but... It... It's such a shock. I, I find it hard to believe. Well, you better get used to the idea that your husband's going to be a big star on television. Uh, Dumplin', will you stop worrying? In a few months, you'll tune in on our television, and what'll you see? Cuckoo, Fran, and Riley. <laughs> Hurry up, Peg. I don't want to be late. Can't afford to hold up production. Oh, where is this place? It's right in here. Come on, hurry up. Now, are you sure they'll let us on the set? Of course. After all, I'm the star. Well, look at all these people. Yeah, yeah. Probably my extras. Come on. Uh, excuse me. One side, please. Step aside. Who are you shoving, Mac? Who do you think you are? My good man, I happen to be the star of this here production. Step aside. You're the star? Are you kidding? I'm the star. Oh, no, you're quite wrong. Uh, there, you see? Tell them, lady. <laughs> I'm the star. I'm the star, too. I'm going to sing. Me old train. Ha, ha. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Over hell. Quiet. Quiet. I'm the star. I've got a contract here. You... Well, I'm the star here. You... Shut up. Clippity-clop. You... Your attention, please. Quiet, please. Quiet. Folks, I'm from the district attorney's office. The men who ran this business have skipped town. 
They're fakes, and there's a warrant out for their arrest. Now, now, we may need you as witnesses, so please leave your name and address with my assistant before you leave. Peg, Peg, where are you? I'm right here, dear. Take me home. Grandma, ain't I going to be on television? No, darling. We are going home. I want to be a television star. So do I. And that's the first portion of The Life of Riley with Riley the TV actor starring William Bendix. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on the Hollywood 360 Radio Network. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Lisa, in our next hour, we're going to tune into the conclusion to The Life of Riley. Then it's The Whistler. You won't want to miss it. Stick around for more fun. 